0: Okay, can I just say something crazy? I love crazy. Love is an open door. Love is an open door. Love is an open door. With you. With you. With you. With you. Love is an open door. Happy Monday and welcome to Not Boring. That, of course, was Love is an Open Door from Frozen or Frozen 2. I don't think there's ever been a more perfect song for a not boring article. So happy Monday. It's hard to avoid SPACs. Everyone has one. Nicola is looking more and more like a fraud. And Shamath just launched three more. It's easy to dismiss SPACs as a fad and the companies that they take public as immature, risky, and dangerous. But great companies can go public via SPAC, too, and they increasingly will. When we find one of those, it's worth doing our homework, which is what today is all about. But first, a word from our sponsor. Because Today is Not Boring is brought to you by Public.com. Now, I love when I get to get sponsored by somebody that I already like and have written about before. In early June, I wrote, a startup called Public, backed by top VCs like Excel and Greycroft, and celebrities and athletes, including Will Smith and JJ Watt, built a product that makes investing social and community forward, allowing people to build followings based on their investing acumen. Now, I don't know about my own investing acumen, time will tell, but I know that we'll make smarter decisions if we're able to sharpen our ideas on each other. Like today, for example, whether you're bullish on IPOB, bearish on it, or still figuring it out, I wanna hear your opinion. So, I'll be posting and discussing on public and would love to hear your thoughts over there. You can join the conversation whether or not you buy a single share, although everything is more fun with some skin in the game. This whole thing, including this public read, is not investment advice, just my observations. Now, let's get to it. Knock, knock. Who's there? Open door. Home is where the startups aren't. Homes are emotional. Pooja and I are having our first kid, a son, in less than a month. We spent this Saturday cleaning up my parents' house and getting rid of old junk that we hadn't used for years to make space for all the new stuff the little guy will need whenever we come visit. As with any cleaning project, we started by emptying one closet and decided to throw out 20 plus years worth of trash and memories from around the house. As we emptied closets we hadn't opened in years, my mom came up with reasons we should keep that old empty picture frame or half-use can of WD-40, told us that we should just dry-clean the sleeping bag we bought in 1998 in case we might want to use it at some point in the future. None of it is rational, but it's not unique either. Marie Kondo has made a fortune convincing people to let go of things that once held importance but no longer do. And that's just the stuff. You would have to pry us out of the house itself. Maybe that's why housing is one of the last major categories that technology has left alone. Sure, companies have tried. Tons of them. The startup graveyard is filled with companies led by entrepreneurs who realize that the way we buy and sell homes sucks, but couldn't ultimately figure out how to change it. They weren't thinking big or long-term enough. The companies that have made the biggest impact, like Zillow and Redfin, make it easier to search for houses, but then kick buyers over to agents to go through the offline process the same way it's always been done. There's a startup Lindy effect at play in real estate. If the future life expectancy of something is proportional to its current age, and real estate has survived practically unchanged by technology longer than any other industry, then maybe the way it is is the best we can do. That's why most people's reaction to a company like Opendoor is, cool idea, won't actually work. Opendoor, founded in 2013, lets people transact real estate at the click of a button. It promises to transform a process that has traditionally been complex, uncertain, and slow into one that is simple, certain, and fast, by using technology to make instant offers on homes. At least one person sees the vision. Last Tuesday, Chamath Palihapitiya announced that his SPAC, social capital Hida Sophia 2, or IPOB, is merging with Opendoor to take it public at a $4.8 billion valuation. So now, without the months of preparation and detailed S1 that the traditional IPO offers, the question shifts from, could Opendoor work, to, should I invest in Opendoor? My gut reaction to that question was a resounding no. There are three things that companies say that make me want to run away as fast as I can. One is the Shark Tank market sizing. X is a multi-billion dollar market. If we can just get Z percent, we'll be a multi-billion dollar business. Stop. If anyone in a given industry can say something, it's not an advantage. Two, capitalism moat. We talked about this in Massive Madness, but the idea of capital as moat, that raising more money than competitors and spending it to achieve a dominant position, has been disproven multiple times in SoftBank's portfolio alone. And three, this is the worst, we're like Amazon. If there's a business out there that's losing money, chances are they've said something like, well, you know, Amazon lost money for a very long time, and look at them now. Bless your heart. If the only thing that you have in common with Amazon is that you also lose money, you're fucked. Opendoor says all three of those things. Plus, Opendoor faces opposition from the realtors who still control the vast majority of the housing market and competition from Zillow, a company I respect tremendously that has a massive demand generation advantage. Plus, Opendoor is a well-funded, soft-bank-backed real estate company like, you know, WeWork. The New York Times wrote about Opendoor in 2017 and titled the article, The Rise of the Fat Startup. If asset light is in, Opendoor should be out. And yet, the more I dig into Opendoor, the more bullish I get. I think Opendoor at $4.8 billion will be one of those prices people look back at in a couple of years and say, shit, I was thinking about buying Opendoor when its market cap was like $5 billion and I missed out. Because the things that most companies say about themselves are true for Door. Amazon didn't win because it was the first company to sell things on the internet or because it controlled demand. Amazon won because it resiliently put all the expensive and unsexy pieces in place and sacrificed short-term profitability for long-term dominance. Before Marc Andreessen yelled it, Jeff Bezos realized that Amazon had to build. Opendoor is doing the same thing in real estate. Real estate hasn't been impervious to startups because it's structurally immovable. It's just really hard to change, capital-intensive, and slow relative to another B2B SaaS business. No one has taken the vertically integrated approach and long view that Opendoor has. Opendoor built the world's most accurate home pricing model, operates a distributed network of thousands of inspectors and contractors, regularly accesses both the debt and equity capital markets, takes inventory risks, and coordinates among the many parties involved in the home selling transaction. Consciously decided to take on a ton of risk. But as Ben Thompson wrote in Opendoor, a startup worth emulating in 2016, risk though is not only about downside. It's about upside. More than that, the level of downside risk is correlated to upside risk. Open Door has many more reasons why it might fail than Zillow or Redfin, but its potential upside is far greater as a result. Being aware of, comfortable with, and prepared for risk is a major advantage. Open Door laid out its plan from the beginning, identified key risks, and has spent the last six years eliminating the downside and building structural advantages that increase its outside potential. It's difficult to understand the compounding effect of all the little things that Opendoor does and why those little things would give the company such a large advantage over competitors. People grasp its downside much better than they grasp its upside. But grasping the upside is what we're all about here at Not Boring. So here it is. Opendoor is executing impressively and intelligently on its original plan. It's capturing meaningful market share in one of the world's largest markets, residential real estate. It has positive and improving unit economics, The Zillow threat is overblown. Opendoor has a range of advantages over Zillow and iBuying, which are borne out by the numbers. And Opendoor is the most similar company to Amazon on the market. It is spinning a powerful flywheel and controls its own profitability versus growth lever. Investing in Opendoor today is an opportunity to get in before the rest of the world catches up to something that Opendoor's founders saw way back in 2003. Opendoor's genesis. Everyone feels the same pain. Opendoor had the benefit of perfect timing, but it wasn't luck. It was an idea waiting for just the right moment. On This Week in Startups in 2018, Open Door co-founder Keith Raboy told host Jason Calacanis, I had this vision back in 2003 that was really the, gen- the genesis of the company. The thesis was that you could use data to model the home, sight unseen, accurately enough to purchase it safely. Back in 2003, Peter Thiel said, come up with an idea that's going to innovate in residential real estate. It's the largest part of the U.S. economy that's been unaffected by technology. What he might not have remembered is that when I joined PayPal, Peter and I had this negotiation about me joining. At the time, I was living on the East Coast and owned a property in Washington, D.C. Peter basically said, I'll see you on Monday. And I was like, what are we talking about? I thought I could start in two to four weeks. And Peter said, nope, if you can't start on Monday, forget the whole thing. So we compromised, and I started on Tuesday instead of Monday. So that gave me Monday to sell my house. Around the same time that Teal asked her boy for a real estate idea, Eric Wu was having a similarly painful home buying experience in Arizona. When he was 19 and a student at the University of Arizona, Wu used scholarship funds to purchase his first house, a $112,000 fixer-upper. Wu felt the same pain that Raboy did. The process of buying and selling the home was a nightmare, he said. I felt alone. It was pretty scary. There were termites, a leaky roof, unpermitted additions, a stack of legal documents impossible to understand. I had a mortgage broker rip me off, and there was no real advisor on my side. It's not surprising that Ruboy and Wu had similarly shitty experiences. Selling a home is universally painful. One in four people would rather attend a funeral than go through the process of selling a home. But unlike the millions of people who have had similarly rough experiences, Ruboy actually tried to start a company to fix the problem and bring liquidity to the housing market. He went searching for $10 million for Project Home Run, but was only able to secure $5 million. He realized that it had to be all or nothing, so he dropped it. But he spent the better part of the next dec- decade biding his time and trying to convince someone to build it with him. Then, in 2010, Wu joined Y Combinator with his real estate startup and sought Raboy out as an advisor. At their first meeting, Keith tried to convince Eric to drop his idea, Movity, which provided location based data to help home buyers make better decisions, and build Home Run with him instead. Wu turned him down and stuck with Movity, and Reboy invested and he sold to Trulia in December 2010. After two years at Trulia, Raboy tried to woo-woo again. This time, he succeeded. A decade later, it was time to turn his idea into reality. In 2013, Wu bought a landing page, OpendoorRealty.co, to test whether people would be willing to instantly sell their homes at a discount. Wu told the audience at NFX's 2019 PropTech Summit that he discovered that there is, quote, a significant liquidity premium for a certain set of sellers. He talked to 10 sellers and asked whether they would be willing to sell their home for $0.88 on the dollar. Some said yes, and for those who didn't, he worked his way up until he found an equilibrium. Assessing the opportunity based on price elasticity of demand curves is in the company's DNA, and that's really important. We'll come back to why a little later. Raboy, then a partner at Coastal Ventures, committed to leading a $10 million Series A for the renamed Opendoor, with Wu at the helm as CEO. At the time, $10 million was a lot for a big first check. But both men understood that they couldn't MVP their way into transforming residential real estate. They needed to do it right from the beginning. Part of doing it right meant recruiting a founding team with the necessary experience. They brought on Ian Wong as CTO. He was a Stanford PhD, dropout, and a square data scientist. They brought on J.D. Ross from Adipar as the VP of product, and Ryan Johnson as the VP of operations from Bain Capital and McKinsey. In its founding team, Opendoor had the real estate, pricing, product, and capital markets expertise necessary to make housing liquid. Sticking to the plan. With the team in place, Opendoor closed its Series A, led by Kosla, in July 2014. Incredibly, its Series A deck laid out most of the plan that Opendoor is still executing on today. And you should really go, there's a link in the piece, check out the Series A deck, it's pretty uncanny. Here's how it works. Opendoor uses an automated valuation model, or AVM, algorithmically priced homes. As sellers enter their address, answer some questions, and receive an offer instantly. Opendoor sends an inspector to confirm the condition and price repairs and collect data to feed back into the model before settling on a final price. Opendoor charges a 6% in the form of a discount to cover fees plus a liquidity discount of between 0 to 6% depending on riskiness. Its average today is 7.3% total that original 6%, plus a 1.3% liquidity discount. door closes with the seller quickly, makes repairs, and sells the home. Originally, it did this through agent partners, and increasingly, it's bringing that process in-house. Raboy and Wu started the company on the belief that certain customers would be willing to pay a premium for certainty, and that many more customers would take certainty for free. Simply put, the strategy that Open Door has pursued since day one is start with the least price-sensitive customers, use them to improve accuracy and lower costs, then attract slightly more price-sensitive customers, use them to improve accuracy and lower costs, keep doing that, then launch new markets with the least price-sensitive customers in those markets, rinse, wash, and repeat. This is the first point at which Open Door starts to remind you of Amazon. In two ways to predict the future, I wrote that Jeff Bezos had a strong claim for the GWOAT, or the greatest world builder of all time because he saw that everything would be sold online in the future and set out to patiently execute on his long-term vision. While Bezos started with books, which the internet with its infinite shelf space was uniquely positioned to handle, Raboy and Wu started with homes, which the internet has been notoriously bad at handling. As Bern Hobart pointed out, homes may be the single most heterogeneous asset class and product in existence. There are 95 million single family homes in the US, all of which are in some way unique. So Herboy and Wu picked the most homogenous product within the universe of U.S. residential real estate, newly constructed homes in Phoenix. It's important to keep in mind how systematic Open Door has been throughout its life. The Series A deck highlighted three risks, model accuracy, buying overvalued homes, and capital, and used its Series A in Phoenix to address each. It used subsequent rounds to de-risk, scale, expand, acquire, and drive down costs, remove friction, improve margins. In the in the essay there's this chart which is the history of funding and acquisitions in Open Door. I'll go through them quickly. So July 2014 raises its series A, launches in Phoenix a little bit thereafter. February 2015, $10 million Series B led by GGV Capital. In October 2015, Access Technology Ventures led its series C at 80 million. It then launched in Dallas in February 2016. In November 2016, Norwest Venture Partners led its $210 million Series D. Then in April 2018, Zillow launches offers its competing product. In June 2018, just a couple months later, Lennar, Norwest, and General Atlantic led its $325 million Series E. In September 2018, it bought open listings to help customers buy their next house. Then in September 2018, same month, later that month, Masa comes in, SoftBank invests $400 million at a $3.7 million valuation in its Series E extension. And then just a few months later in March 2019, SoftBank and General Atlantic put $300 million more into the company in a Series E3. In September 19, it acquired OS National to start providing t- title and escrow. And in September 2020, the month that we're in right now, Opendoor merged with Chamath's back Hida Sophia 2 to go public at a $4.8 billion market cap. And there's a link to a full history with all the links to the different funding announcements in the article. By the time it raised its last venture round in March 2019, less than five years since it raised its series A, Opendoor accomplished a lot. It raised $1.48 billion in equity capital and over $2 billion in debt capacity. It launched in 21 markets. It acquired open listings in OS and National to expand its service offering. It improved pricing, brought down costs, and accessed cheaper capital. It purchased and sold billions of dollars worth of homes, $1.7 billion in 2018 alone, and hit a $3.8 billion valuation. In 2019 alone, Opendoor did $4.7 billion in revenue with positive contribution margins. All that capital, including SoftBank money, which has often been a kiss of death for its recipients, made Opendoor stronger. Opendoor's strategy had always involved launching markets, proving and improving the model, de-risking and launching new markets. Whereas SoftBank money enabled companies like WAG to expand before they were ready, Opendoor knew exactly when it was ready to expand and what it wanted to accomplish by doing so. Its focus on unit economics meant that it wouldn't light the money on fire, and a strong balance sheet meant that it was ready for turbulence. When the coronavirus hit, Opendoor was prepared. It dramatically de-risked, laying off over 600 employees or 35% of the staff, paused buying while continuing to sell, and brought its home inventory down from $1 billion to $172 million. CFO Carrie Wheeler pointed out that it sold down without sacrificing margins, which dipped just slightly from 7.1% in Q1 to 6.8% in Q2. Then, in the midst of the pandemic, some good news. Last week, after a week of rumors, Chamath Palihapitiya announced that his second SPAC, Social Capital Hida Sophia Holdings Corp. 2, or IPOB, was merging with Opendoor to go public at a $4.8 billion valuation. Chamath's Spectacular Vision Chamath is the voice of the SPAC movement, and CNBC is his pulpit. Last Tuesday, he went on CNBC to lay out his thesis for Open Door. Residential real estate is a massive market, $1.6 trillion annually, with low customer satisfaction and an inconsistent experience. 28% of realtors do the job part-time. Open Door's model has five tailwind at its back. Underbuilding since the financial crisis has led to a supply-demand imbalance, Rising state taxes and elimination of the SALT deductions are moving people to move. 75 million millennials are entering the housing market who expect to transact online. Work from home is here to stay, so people are moving to higher quality of life cities. And the Fed signaled that it will keep interest rates near zero at least through 2023. The former Facebook exec and social capital CEO has high hopes for the company. The times I've come on, he said, I've tried to find asymmetric upside opportunities and present them to you. This, to me, feels like Bitcoin in 2012, Amazon in 2015, Tesla in 2016, Virgin last year. This is an enormous bet for me, and I think that Opendoor is going to build a huge, huge business. After a run-up to $18, IPOB closed the week at $14.60. A healthy run-up, but nothing like the high-margin tech IPOs like Snowflake, which more than doubled on its first day of trading. That makes sense, though. With both SPACs and IPOs on the table as viable options, IPOs are for easily understood companies, and SPACs are for companies whose potential is underappreciated. Opendoor is underappreciated. Understanding Opendoor. Chamath clearly appreciates Opendoor's vision, but there are many who remain skeptical. Here's the bear case. It's a super low-margin business that isn't profitable and may never be. It's too capital-intensive. Most people won't want to sell their houses online. Of course it's done well in a rising market. Wait until we see a downturn. Zillow is a higher margin business with better distribution. It will eat Opendoor's lunch. And see, it laid off 35% of its workforce. Just another overfunded SoftBank house of cards. I understand where the bears are coming from. At first glance, Opendoor smells too much like WeWork. And at first glance is all some people will give it. Because understanding a business like Door's can seem opaque and unapproachable, particularly with phases like SPAC and iBuying in the mix. But it ultimately comes down to one question, which is the same question you need to answer for any business. Will a company be able to generate positive and growing cash flows for a long time? That one question breaks down into three sub questions. Is the market big enough that the company has room to grow and cover central costs? Does the company make money on each transaction and can it become profitable? And is the company's advantage defensible against competitors? That's pretty much it. So how does open door do on each? Number one, is the market big enough? This is an easy one. Real estate is massive. According to Zillow's research, the total value of U.S. homes is $33.6 trillion. Much of that value is locked up because people don't sell their homes every year. But according to Opendoor, 5 million homes are sold annually, representing $1.6 trillion per year in volume. That's twice as big as the used auto market, and Carvana has a $28 billion market cap, and 60% more than Americans spend on food. Domino's alone has a $15 billion market cap. Okay, got it. Housing is big. No one disagrees that housing is big. But how about iBuying? No one's actually going to sell their homes through an app, right? Wrong. In Phoenix, Opendoor's most mature market, it already has over 4% market share of all-home sales. And the company is growing market share faster in its new cohorts. After 12 months, Phoenix only had 0.8% market share. Its last 15 markets got to 1.3% market share within the first year. As Opendoor gains awareness in new markets, it grows, and as it improves its playbook and gains national recognition, it's able to scale up more quickly. The company and its new partner, Chamath, believe that if it just executes on this playbook across the country, it can achieve a $50 billion run rate revenue with 4% market share in 100 markets. Okay, okay, fine. buying is a big opportunity, but anybody with a lot of money can just buy a lot of houses. Can Opendoor actually make money? Number two, does the company make money on each transaction? Can it become profitable? iBuying is a low-margin business, but Open Door does have positive unit economics. In Phoenix, it generates a 4% contribution margin on each home and 3% after paying interest on the money it uses to buy the home. Because the total transaction value is high, that low-margin percentage is actually a lot of dollars. It makes 8 k per home after interest in Phoenix. Across all markets, it generates a contribution margin of 3.1%, and 1.9% after interest. It expects those numbers to improve to 55 and 4.7% in 2023, respectively. That seems like a small improvement, but at the scale Opendoor anticipates by 2023, every 1% in contribution margin after interest is another $100 million that drops to the bottom line. And at a 20 times price-to-earnings multiple, and CarMax as a comp is at 21.4x, each 1% represents $2 billion in market cap, Long term, Opendoor is targeting a 6 to 8% contribution margin after interest as it improves pricing, lowers costs, and adds on high margin services like title and escrow, and 82% of customers use Opendoor title and escrow, mortgages, warranties, insurance, and moving. Forbes called title insurance America's richest insurance racket because of antiquated state laws that thwart new competition, allow prices to soar despite declining costs, and force almost every home buyer to pay for insurance that most of them will never need. Opendoor's purchase of OS National means that it gets to participate in that racket with a captive audience of sellers. When considering additional services, Opendoor's targets actually seem conservative. The more additional services that it attaches, the higher its margin or the lower its price, which would lead to more demand and ultimately higher margins. How about a downturn, though? Even during the coronavirus-induced selldown, Opendoor was able to maintain positive margins— In a skeptical look at Opendoor, though, Twin Oaks Group points out that it's inappropriate to portray COVID as a stress on the single-family market when, indeed, it's a tailwind. The author noted that home prices actually increased by 1% in the quarter, and by removing that, Opendoor only saw contribution margins of 2.1% and 0.9% after interest. Fair. Opendoor has yet to face a real downturn, but it's actually better positioned than competitors or individual home sellers if it does, for a few reasons. One, centralized pricing gives it the best pulse on the market of anyone in it Two, customers are uncertain in a downturn when customers are uncertain they should be more willing to pay a premium for certainty three home prices move much more slowly than other asset classes rental prices have dropped much more dramatically than sales in Brooklyn which I'm checking daily Four, open door only holds houses for an average of 88 days so their exposure is limited and five the government's response to recent crises has been to lower rates which is ultimately beneficial to Opendoor's unit economics. Ultimately, though, no two downturns are the same. This is a risk to keep an eye on, but I think it's overblown. Nothing makes me more excited than an overblown bear case. And three, is the company's advantage defensible in the face of competition? So if a bear market doesn't take Opendoor down, what about competitors? Opendoor faces increasing competition from both startups and bigger incumbents in the buying market. On the startup side, it faces competitions from companies like Offerpad, Orchard, and Knock, as well as a host of regional players. This is where capital as a moat comes in. More specifically, Open Door takes advantage of cost of capital as a moat. Because of its track record, short durations, balance sheet, and team, it's able to secure the lowest rates of any I buyer. That means that all else is equal, it can make more money on each transaction than any of its competitors. Or put another way, it can charge customers less and still make the same margin. But all else is not equal. Opendoor's data, algorithm, and scale mean that it can price more accurately than its competitors and remodel at lower cost for a higher ROI. No startup will unseat Opendoor or put much of a dent in its plans. Where it gets really interesting is in the head-to-head battle with Zillow offers. Zillow versus Opendoor. In April 2018, after Opendoor had been buying houses for more than four years, Zillow announced the launch of its own iBuying program. Instead of choosing markets in which Opendoor doesn't have a presence, Zillow chose to compete head to head. Each company buys homes in 12 states, but each only has one state that the other isn't in. Zillow's in Ohio and Opendoor is in Utah. I've been long Zillow since the stock tanked on the offer's announcement, in part because I thought that their core product and Zestimate gave them a distinct demand advantage over Opendoor or any other iBuyer. I'm up 142% on Zillow and holding, but I actually think the advantage in iBuying belongs to Opendoor. Here's why. Running an operationally intensive business is just so much different than running a pure tech company. I can't think of any company that has turned an advantage in SEO into a leading vertically integrated business. Yelp didn't win food delivery, Kayak didn't launch Airbnb, and Google Shopping hasn't put a dent in Amazon's dominance. Opendoor was built from the ground up to do what it does. It has a culture that's fixated on driving down costs and passing them on to customers. It's hard to imagine that a company used to software margins can transform its culture without a tremendous amount of pain. In addition to its culture, Open Door has a bunch of structural advantages built into its DNA that Zillow will struggle to compete with. Data. Zillow's estimate, which I love and wrote about in Zill B&B, actually doesn't have the right level of accuracy on the right things to optimize for iBuying. It's a good starting point and great for demand gen, but Open Door has proprietary and unique data that it's built up from sellers and its custom inspection app over six years. It knows far better, for example, how to price out repairs than Zillow does. Two, Agents. Zillow uses agents and door sells homes itself. Because of that, Zillow has structurally higher costs and it can't collect the kind of data that Opendoor can, like how many visits it takes to sell a house in a particular micro-neighborhood. And three, aligned incentives. Working with agents also creates a principal agent problem for Zillow. Agents are incentivized to hit a price that clears the deal, whereas Opendoor can hold out to achieve its optimal price target. Zillow is undeniably has an advantage in top of funnel demand generation over Opendoor. It's why I've been so bullish. But the more I think about it, the more I realize that that doesn't matter in iBuying. For one, CAC is less important than I thought. Because the transaction is so large, the cost of acquiring the customer represents a very small percentage of the total transaction value. It's far more important to get pricing right than CAC. Two, Opendoor can generate demand through partnerships. Zillow is the largest demand generator in real estate, but there are others. Opendoor partners with Redfin and Realtor.com, for example, and pays each to send it leads. The Redfin deal is particularly interesting. Redfin tried to get into the iBuying game, but realized that it was too hard, so it decided to partner with Opendoor instead. I wonder if Zillow will do the same thing at some point. And three, customers are going to price shop. I don't have numbers to back this up, but we can think our way into this one. Someone's home is typically their largest asset. People compare prices when they're buying a t-shirt. They're certainly going to shop around for the best price when selling their home. To that end, Zillow's SEO strength is actually good top of funnel for Opendoor as well. Zillow shows customers that iBuying is a viable option. If Opendoor has the best price, which it should given its data and cost advantages, it will end up winning the deal. These advantages become clear when comparing the two companies' unit economics. According to iBuying expert Mike Delpret, Zillow operates its iBuying program at a negative 2% net margin, while Opendoor operates at a 3.1% margin. Two slides in his 2020 iBuyer report preview highlight Opendoor's structural advantages. Because it is built from the hard parts, including building a network of inspectors and contractors in each market, six years' worth of data on which improvements drive ROI, and buying more supplies than anyone else, Opendoor spends around 2% of its revenue on home repairs versus Zillow's 5%. And because Zillow's main customers are agents, it can't cut them out, it can cut them out of the transaction and ends up paying over 50% more than Opendoor on agent commissions. To lower this cost, it would have to risk pissing off the people who pay its marketing fees that drive the majority of Zillow's revenue and margin. Worryingly for Zillow, its loss per home actually increased throughout 2019. It does not seem to be improving efficiency with scale, and it'll be interesting to see how long investors let it compete with Opendoor instead of partnering with it. So Opendoor passes all three tests. It's a leader in a massive market with a clear path to growing profits and moats that protect its margin from competitors. The advantages that Opendoor has over its competitors are also why I think that the company has a legitimate claim at comparing itself to Amazon. Opendoor was built from the ground up to run this particular business and created a flywheel that's going to be nearly impossible for anyone to compete with without burning their core business, just like Amazon. The bull case, Opendoor is Amazon for real estate. At this point, we've established that Opendoor has the potential to be a great business in an enormous market, practically untouched by innovation. The thing that gets me most excited about the company, though, is how similar it is to Amazon. Many of the skeptics' concerns that I highlighted above are the same concerns that Jeff Bezos once heard. It's a low margin business. It just keeps losing money. It's so capital intensive. eBay has a better business model and lower costs. It'll eat Amazon's lunch. And most people won't want to shop online anyway. The criticisms aren't the only similarities between the two companies. Amazon and Opendoor are similar in four ways. One customer obsession two, a culture of frugality. Three control over profitability and four flywheels. Customer obsession. Customer obsession is the leadership principle that Bezos credits for Amazon success. Because Amazon is customer-obsessed, it's now fashionable for companies to say that they're customer-obsessed too. But few live up to it like Opendoor does. Everything that Opendoor does is designed to remove friction, lower prices, and create a better experience for customers. As one example, when asked why he would partner with a competitor like Redfin, Wu said, Customers want choice. The best possible experience is is that a customer walks in any funnel and says, great, what are my options to sell? And be fully informed to make a decision both on the economics and the experience. Why not give your customer the option and let them choose? If you start with the customer and walk through the logic, we can all be partners in that. Choice and experience is one part of the customer obsession. But for such a large transaction, nothing is more important to customers than price. In the same interview, Wu said, if you make the process cheaper and more efficient, the customer benefits. The company's employees are willing to make sacrifices to make that happen. Culture of frugality. In Amazon's early days, instead of buying desks for each new employee, everyone, including Bezos, made their own desks out of doors and two by fours. Bezos instilled a culture in which people realized that every penny they didn't spend on themselves, they could pass on as savings to customers. Open Door is Amazon's spiritual frugality successor. It has the best core value I've ever come across to back it up, BIPs for breakfast. The value means that employees need to always be on the lookout for ways to cut basis points or BIPs from its costs, because the lower the company's costs, the lower prices it can charge customers. Wu brought in Amazon executives to help instill that culture. Its president of Homes and Services, Julie Todaro, was the VP of Operations at Amazon, and in 2019, the company added Jason Kilar, who held a variety of leadership roles at Amazon, to its board. He's also made the hard choices to instill frugality in the company's culture. He eliminated free lunch, he installed a 120 k salary cap in the early years, and they have a higher cap in place right now, and they moved from operating in a decentralized manner to centralizing the core business. Early in COVID, Open Door laid off 35% of its staff. Critics saw the move as another example of an overfunded soft bank backed company getting over its skis. But given Opendoor's bips for breakfast culture, I think Wu saw it as an opportunity to get Opendoor's org structure right. From 2018 to 2020, Opendoor increased the percentage of fully automated offers made from 41 to 63%, meaning that algorithms could now do the jobs that humans did before. It's hard to tell someone they've been replaced by an algorithm. COVID made it easier. 3. Control Over Profitability A tight grip on costs and deep understanding of the customer gives Opendoor more control over its profitability. Just like Amazon in the early days, I think that most people are missing Opendoor's massive potential by focusing on its current low margins and lack of profitability. While every money-losing startup claims to be like Amazon, this chart from Opendoor's investor presentation convinced me that it actually is. The chart shows the price elasticity of demand for sellers on the Opendoor platform. When Opendoor Opendoor charges a 6% fee, sellers convert at 44%. When it charges 10%, sellers convert to 23%. Understanding this curve and how it changes by market, price point, and over time is key to understanding that Opendoor can choose whether it wants to grow faster or be more profitable. This has always been the huge difference between Amazon and the money burning companies that compare themselves to Amazon. Amazon chooses how profitable it is today to maximize its potential tomorrow, whereas other companies just lose money today and will likely lose money tomorrow. Opendoor chooses to make money less money today, in order to make more money tomorrow. Take Phoenix as an example, where Opendoor has an adjusted gross margin of 7.3%. Based on the chart above, that means it's converting somewhere near 36%. If it decided to slow growth by a third from 35 to 23%, Opendoor could generate an additional 2.7% in contribution margin, increasing it from 4.0% to 6.7%. There's another metric to consider too. By growing faster, Opendoor is able to do more volume on both its labor, inspectors and contractors, and materials. It laid over 1 million square feet of carpet last year, driving down those costs. It makes sense for Opendoor to give up some short-term contribution margin today in order to drive down costs, which will allow it to lower prices and generate more demand tomorrow, which will... Wait a second, my God, that's flywheels music. Amazon and Opendoor's flywheels. Amazon and Opendoor obsess over customers and sacrifice comforts to pass on savings to customers, not because they're altruistic, but because doing so creates flywheels that lead to a large and growing advantages. Amazon's flywheel is famous. It focused on the customer experience because having the best customer experience drives traffic to Amazon, which allows you to attract more sellers, which means more choice and a better customer experience, which leads to more growth. More growth and a culture of frugality means a lower cost structure, which means lower prices, which also leads to a better customer experience. Once the wheel starts turning, it just keeps building on itself and Amazon's run, Amazon runs further and further ahead of its competition. Opendoor has a similar flywheel to Amazon, which Chamath highlighted both on CNBC and in the investor presentation. As he explains it, the entire value of Opendoor starts with the ability to make offers because the more offers they make, the more homes they buy, and the more homes they sell. As they do that, they can win a market, they can refine a playbook, and they can expand with confidence into more and more markets. As they do that, two things happen. The first is that they're able to cross-sell and upsell a whole suite of value-added services, and these things have a very good attach rate. They also drive long-term profitability and contribution margin. All of this scale also allows them to work with their lending partner to secure more and cheaper forms of capital. Together, all of these things just continue to give consumers more value. It continues to lower costs, and then consumers reward Opendoor with more demand, which then allows Opendoor to make more offers, and then the cycle continues. The more Opendoor continues to execute on this playbook, the more offers it makes, the lower its cost it drives, the better it prices its homes, the further ahead it gets. This flywheel will allow Opendoor to both win against existing competitors and expand iBuying market share as the cost to customers drive down to levels below what they're paying in the traditional process today. Opendoor's future. Just like you couldn't have predicted AWS by looking at Amazon in 2000, it's hard to predict what Opendoor might look like in 20 years. But that doesn't mean we can't try. Short-term, its plan is obvious because it's the same one it has been running for six years. Opendoor will continue to execute on the flywheel by expanding into more markets, lowering costs, and attaching more additional services. To understand whether Opendoor is succeeding against its plan in the short-term, watch its contribution margins. After it's officially public, it will have to report earnings every quarter, and contribution margins will be the first thing I look for. Medium-term, Open Door will add services beyond the home sale transaction. It has announced plans for moving, but I wouldn't be surprised if it started offering ongoing home repairs and maintenance, painting, lawn care, cleaning, and anything else related to the home that does one or more of three things. One, lets door collect proprietary data and feed it into the pricing model. Two, keeps open door top of mind. And three, improves the experience of living in a home. Long term, it can achieve its vision of providing real liquidity to the housing market. Imagine a world in which it's easier to buy a home than it is to rent. Opendoor could provide low transaction costs, fast turnaround times, easy moves, recommended houses, and more. Opendoor can increase its addressable market by increasing the velocity of home transactions and enable the currently unattainable combination of home ownership and flexibility. It might also flex its capital market's muscle and unique position in the real estate value chain to create a financial asset that gives investors exposure to city indices, either by syndicating out the equity it holds on its balance sheet or by giving buyers a new form of equity-based financing. I love New York, but I'd love some exposure to markets like Philadelphia, Austin, and Denver right now. Opendoor is best positioned to make my dream come true. Technology has fundamentally transformed every business except real estate. Opendoor is changing that. When it does, it could be as big as Amazon, if Amazon doesn't buy it first. That's all for now. Uh, Hope you enjoyed it. Leave feedback in the comments, and I will see you soon. Have a great week.